Wasn't necessarily anticipating some church breaking out in the middle of an offering. All right. Uh, awesome. This is going to be a little bit of a backwards sermon. Usually the first thing out of the blocks is we read some scripture. Uh, this week the scripture is going to be kind of like the high point at the end of the message. Okay? So everything that comes out of my mouth hopefully is leading toward the point where we hear God say what he would say to us today. Um, whenever I'm asked to officiate a wedding, uh, I feel responsible to accomplish a few things. Number one is to let the spotlight shine on uh, the bride and the groom who are exchanging promises to one another. Beyond that, I feel responsible to share God's perspective as presented in the Bible about how the gift of marriage is to intended to bless each prospective spouse, their relationship together, and how their relationship is intended to bless the wider world. I also feel responsible to mention that God's perspective on marriage is increasingly countercultural because it's about these circles of blessing and not just good for the people there who are making the promises. Um, I've settled on an approach at weddings that involves uh, three C words, and I want to share these with you this morning, and they are these words, consent, contract, and covenant. These are all good words. However, uh, if I could give them an Olympic ranking... Uh, I've made a little informal Olympic podium over here. The bronze medal would go to consent. I'm going to speak of this first. The silver medal will go to contracts. And the gold medal, and the best word, which we'll say for last, is the word covenant. Follow me so far? Hopefully this doesn't feel too much like school to those of you who are kids in the room, but we have three C words for the day. Consent, contracts, and covenants. Um, on this Labor Day, I um, want to really share through the lens of these three words what is our first, best, last, and most difficult work, the labor of love. So consent is a term that has really in the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years uh, become the most common moral touchstone for our young people and young adults when it comes to how we relate to one another in American culture. Consent is simply this. You get to say with your own free will, like, yup, I'm in, or to another person, yeah, you can do that. While consent applies to friendships and working relationships, it is most commonly applied to romantic relationships. Any quick internet search will yield you a definition or description like the following words. There's a child who is not consenting to the sermon. <laughs> which is, uh, I love it. Consent is an absolutely necessary part of a healthy relationship. Consent in a dating relationship is when partners mutually agree to sexual activity that can include hugging, kissing, touching, etc. Both partners must be consenting. And again, this is the leading moral principle in these United States of America for interpersonal relationships. This also applies, by the way, I'm affirming this, it also applies to the way you spend time together, the way you use money together. Have you ever gone out with a friend to the mall who has way more money than you and suddenly you find yourself like needing to shell out vast amounts of cash just to keep up and you like never agreed to this? Because like they pick the restaurant and then they're like, we have to buy shoes together because we're best friends. And you're like, ah. 
I've been in these situations before or where somebody um, just like shows up or invites you to go somewhere and you think this is going to take two hours and all of a sudden like 12 hours later you realize like, I don't think I said yes to all of this. It is true that consent is absolutely necessary for every relationship amongst equals. As Christians, the belief that we are all, each and every one, image bearers of God should be more than enough to keep us from steamrolling one another without mutual consent. However, in this fallen world, the absence of consent, even in peer relationships among Christian brothers and sisters, can devolve and disintegrate into one person dominating another or controlling another or even abusing, God forbid, one another. So we as Christians should heartily affirm that yes, consent is an important and necessary foundation for all relationships, especially amongst equals. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you are responsible for your kids. Um, However, here would be a bad non-consensual move as a parent. Like say you're getting transferred for work and you tell your kids like 24 hours before, they, before you leave, right? It's not their responsibility to decide, but preparing your kids and wooing them and kind of earning their trust and guiding their consent is huge. So just because you're older or wiser or more responsible, still everything in our power out of love should be eliciting the consent of those for whom we care. While consent is part of the ground floor, please hear me say that, the ground floor for any decent relationship, our culture now implies that consent is the ceiling or the high bar for relationships. But this is not so. Consent is basic, but it is not ennobling. Or I like to put it this way, consent is necessary, but it is not Sufficient. It's not sufficient to produce a healthy relationship at work, at home, with friends. We need a higher vision of what our interpersonal and even toward God relationships can be. Speaking of God, though we are infinitely far from equals with the one who made us, right? There's no difference that is bigger in a relationship between Almighty God and little us. God honors our consent in responding to his invitations and love and grace. This remains a huge divine mystery to me. While God could force us to trust and obey, the Lord desires our acknowledgement and receptivity and love and affection from us so much and to such an extent that he has been, God has been willing to abide millennia after millennia of human sin and misery and trouble and violence and nonsense so that people like us might use our frail but free wills to say, yes, Lord, yes. By the way, uh, you made a wise choice to consent to God's invitation, to show up in a place of worship today. Like every day, there are opportunities to consent with the voice of God. So on the silver medal podium will be the word contract. Heading to level two here. What is a contract? A contract is a simple agreement. A little better word than consent. A contract says, you do this, I'll do that, and we'll keep our word to one another. It's a deal. 
quid pro quo, if that phrase hasn't been too sullied by our modern politics. Two people shake hands, make an agreement, X, Y, we're on the same page. Contracts are all good until some, someone breaks their word. Every time you go shopping at the Jewel, you make a little informal modern contract. You get the benefit of the groceries from the Jewel. Jewel gets the benefit of the swipe of your credit card or your cash or however you choose to pay these days. If you're a college student, you have a contract with a college or university or community college where you go. You get the wisdom of the ages downloaded into your mind and into your experience and into your hands and you pay them tuition dollars, right? This is how the deal works. If you fail to pay tuition, like going to class next month might be a problem, right? Most of our contracts, it's very easy to think of these through like an economic or financial lens. What happens when a contract is broken? Imagine you go to the Shell station down the tr street, you put 20 gallons of gas in your big car, you pay 100 bucks or whatever it costs these days. Right, But suppose you would put those 20 gallons in the tank and then just drive off. You break the contract of the gas station. Right? What's going to happen to you next? <laughs> um, a cop is going to find you soon because there's a video camera at the gas station that has a picture of you filling up your car and of your license plate, and you are not going to get away with breaking this just very simple, normal social contract. Imagine there's a nurse who puts in two weeks of hard labor, and then her hospital forgets to pay her after working like 50 hours a week, night shifts. How is this nurse going to feel on her third week when her paycheck didn't come in? Is she going to go to work? Some of you very nice people are like, oh, yes, I would keep going to work. <laughs> others of you are like, I would go there and have some really hard words with my manager. Others of you are like, I'm just staying in bed and putting in a phone call until my like, check comes in. This is how the world works. Contract, layer of contract after layer of contract. Good fitting contracts allow our human lives to work smoothly, fairly, and equitably. However, when a contractual mindset spills over into our interpersonal relationships, our friendships, our marriages, the way we relate to our parents or to our kids, we are destined for disaster. You heard me right. When we, and this is our mindset in almost every sphere of life, when we import that contractual mindset to our intimate interpersonal relationships, we are destined for disaster. Imagine a husband and wife where the husband says, I said I love you first last night, so you have to say it first tomorrow morning. Otherwise, I'm going to be really upset and treat you horribly. Well, we, do. <laughs> we got an amen from a brother. Yeah, and that keeps working out, right? Year after year, day after day, week after week. I mean, imagine uh, two housemates, you know, roommates. There's some guys living in a college house, and one of them agrees to, you know, like, wash the dishes twice a week. One of them agrees to mow the lawn because it's a longer job once, once a week. And then the dishwasher, because the lawnmower didn't do his job on Saturday, goes on strike and refuses to wash the dishes from here on out. Like, their house is soon going to be a disaster. Has anybody, I'm, I want to ask you to raise hands, every married person I know has at one time or another fallen into this contractual mindset and it causes trouble every single time. 
frustration, anger, resentment. That's one of the devil's favorite words, by the way. Resentment. I feel it all over again that you broke your part of the contract, so no, I'm not going to keep my part of the contract. Retribution. Hardly the fruit of the Spirit. As 1 Corinthians 13.5 says so beautifully, love keeps no record of wrongs. Right? Love doesn't keep score. Love doesn't do quid pro quo like the whole rest of the world. Love says, I love you. I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to be with you no matter what. So we have observed that consent is necessary but not sufficient for good relationships. And that a contract is sufficient for lots of human interactions, but we need a higher vision, a gold medal word. And thankfully, God himself gives us this gold medal, not only word, but perspective and example of how to labor at love and truly love other people in the world. And this word is covenant. Covenant is a term that appears only sparsely in modern America. Uh, When my family lived in California, every neighborhood in California had C, C, and R's. Lawyers, get excited. Covenants, conditions, and restrictions for the neighborhood. You know, like you couldn't let your grass grow more than eight inches long, and you couldn't plant certain kinds of trees. Um, This was a regular part of our neighborhood conversations, quite frankly, because people in California were super concerned about keeping real estate values high and moving up and to the right. CCNRs were a big deal. A little more often, I hear the word covenant in wedding and marriage situations. The covenant of marriage, the nature of the vows that are exchanged. Real estate does not really get at the heart of God's idea of a covenant. Marriage gets a lot closer. To make a covenant, I define it this way, is to promise to be with someone, to have their back, to stick with them no matter what, come hell or high water, I'm going to be with you. Like that's a serious promise that no one should make lightly. A covenant moves light years beyond merely allowing something to be done, consent. It moves light years beyond even pledging to take a certain course of action or pay a certain amount of money, a contract. A covenant promises to faithfully and persistently, doggedly be with another person or community of people no matter what. In making and keeping covenants, we as human beings are at our best and most noble because we are following in the footsteps of our covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. It is in the very nature of God's being and in the nature of God's word to make and keep covenants. The only reason that a church like this one exists today is because more than 3,500 years ago, God communicated to a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah and said this, I will be your God, you will be my people. Like, that's the essential, initial, most basic covenant from God. I will be your God with everything that entails. 
the one who made you, the one who loves you, the one who will forgive you, the one who will redeem you, the one who will discipline you, the one who will make all things new. I will be your God. You will be my people. 500 years after God made that covenant to Abraham and Sarah, there was a man named Moses. And in his final words, his final sermon to God's covenant people, the nation of Israel, he spoke these words. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you, Israel, church, because you were no more numerous than other peoples. I would add more successful, more beautiful, more awesome than other peoples. For you were actually the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why did God choose Israel? Because they were amazing, unique. Why did God choose you? Why did God choose those sons and daughters of his that are in the church? Because we're so awesome? It's a mystery. God chooses to love and make covenant promises based on something in his incredible, beyond me, mysterious will. God chose to say, I'm going to love you, and that's how it is. Deuteronomy 7 continues. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Notice that the word keep appears twice in that little verse. As we keep the commandments, as we keep the word of the Lord, God keeps us in his love. Heaven only knows all the trouble and sin and flakiness that the good Lord has endured as a result of this momentous covenant promise. God has been faithful to it and is still faithful to it to this day, so faithful that he sent his only begotten son to keep and redeem and preserve a peculiar people like us. It is in God's nature to be a covenant maker and to be a covenant keeper. Sometimes we say we want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We want to walk his way, even if it's a narrow path, even if it's a difficult path. I humbly suggest to you that if you have ever made a covenant promise to another human being or to God himself, as you embrace and lean into and faithfully uh, manifest like faithfulness to that promise, you are walking the way of Jesus, who is the ultimate promise maker and promise keeper. We walk the way of Jesus when we promise to be a faithful friend and then stick with our friends. We walk the way of Jesus when you promise to stick with a child, a grandchild, a young adult, a coworker, a church, a congregation that you've made solemn promises to. We walk the way of Jesus when you stand in front of a church like this 
Many of you have done this or will do this someday and say words like this to a soon-to-be husband or wife. I take you to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. We are at our best as human beings and most noble and holy in the making and keeping of covenant promises because that is what God does for us. It's one thing to say the words. It's quite another thing to live the words, to execute, to manifest your life into the words, especially through the pain, the strain, and the indignity of the years. But that, brothers and sisters, is the labor of love, to live into the words. By God's grace, by God's help, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do just that because we worship the one who says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God says that. To the church in general, he says that to you personally. And Jesus' last words in the Gospels are these. Listen to the covenant-keeping heart of God. Jesus says, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, every Sunday morning in worship is a renewed invitation to receive the blessing of these mighty promises from the mouth of God who sticks with us day by day, week by week, age to age, until the ages are no more. Here's the way it doesn't work. God will be a covenant-keeping God as long as I'm a really good, obedient, perfect person. Like, I would be dead and gone a million times over already if that's how it worked. God is going to keep his part of the deal because God is God and so good and full of love. Through every season, through every difficulty, through every error. But when we align our lives to match up to God's covenant making and keeping, I will say this, when we align with who God is and what he does, we feel and enjoy and benefit from his blessing in a deeper kind of way when we are out of alignment. Do you hear the difference there? We are not just hashtag blessed because God just loves me because I go to church on Sunday. When I align my life with the heart and the intention and the nature of God, I will inevitably find myself blessed even if I'm sick, even if my marriage is on the rocks, even if I'm really struggling with someone I love, I will find myself blessed because I am aligned with the heart of God. That is how it works in this world. When we are aligned, we know God better. We know more of his nature. We know more of God's creative power. We know more of Jesus' presence. We know more of the Holy Spirit's inner peace because we're lined up with God. And this is available to you, my friends, Every day, every week, every school year, every season, the labor of love is to stick with the God who keeps his covenant. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that wonder of wonders, you spoke promises out of heaven and have honored those promises, not only to Abraham and Sarah, not only to Israel, but to your church, down to individuals like us. And Lord, we thank you that we are able to end this worship service by coming to Jesus' table where the sign of the depth of your love and sacrifice and commitment and promise is so deep and real and true. God, we want to receive, we want to feel it, and we want our lives to line up with Jesus who loved us so much. In his name we pray, amen.